Welcome, Bird Gang. On today's show, we're entering the home stretch. It's the last full week before the draft. Mike Jarecki unveils his second to last group of prospects, numbers 11 through 20, and quarterbacks finally make the list. Speaking of lists, we've got another one for you, win totals. But first, this has the potential to be a big news week for players and fans. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 415, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. So we've got days, not weeks, before the 2021 NFL Draft. MJ, take a deep breath. It's almost here. Can you be patient for a little while longer? That's all we're asking, a little patience. I don't have a choice. I mean, <laughs> that's I, true. You know, I, I mean, at this point, it, you know, you got to be careful what you read and see. And, and I understand that people put out different mocks and, you know, it's fun to look at. But at this point in time, you just got to filter what you think is BS. And it's kind of silly season. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of over analysis. And, you know, we're all trying to guess. And really, at the end of the day, even the team's picking. They hope they know, but we know it's been a crapshoot. And, and it's unfortunate to say that because these kids have worked very hard and nobody wants to be labeled a bust. And to me, uh, you got to do your homework, and that's background checks and everything else. So, um, you know, I'm sure teams are, are, are excited, but they got to make sure that they all they, they have their ducks in the row because this is a big draft for all 32 clubs. It is very hard to predict, especially the later you have that pick in the first round. If you're picking number one, as the Cardinals were a couple of years back, that's then it. You can, it's a handful of players and maybe one player, as we know, it was Kyler Murray. But even at number eight a year ago, I remember specifically leaving the NFL scouting combine and Isaiah Simmons just blew away everyone on his measurables and everything on how fast he ran, how athletic he was. Like, oh, there's no way he's dropping to number eight. I mean, he's going to be a top five, top three selection. Well, what happened? He drops to number eight. There's always that one player, sometimes a couple of players that fall. This year, as much as people talk about Kyle Pitts, there are some people believe because the run of quarterbacks and maybe even wide receivers that he might be that guy that someone at six, seven or eight, all of a sudden this guy, this transcendent tight end lands in their lap. But there is going to be someone that quote unquote falls, although I love it because teams never say who's on their board. They don't put their board up until mid-April at the earliest, yet what do we hear the run-up? Oh, this guy's rising and falling. No, they're not. It's just it's just this big narrative, and I operate under hear everything, believe nothing when you talk about the NFL draft. Yeah, and, and, and early on I'm thinking, all right, I know the NFL is going to more positional, less players, and, you know, but early on, I was thinking, okay, what's going to be his natural position? And in fairness, then they were very consistent with slow playing him. Now injuries occur, and then you start looking at the upside, and he can help him in sub packages. But you're right. I mean, I uh, it would have been him or Derek Brown for me, and Carolina took Derek Brown, and 
go back to their flight plan and Cardinals were not hesitant. It was ready to go to make the pick. So they, they must, I got to think they had them ranked in the top three, uh, regardless of the position, just from a standpoint of, you know, Chase Young, I think clearly was the best player in the draft going in. And I think he's proven at least for one year. And then Jeff Akuda, obviously he had the skill set and the upside to be drafted where he was, you know, unfortunately he was on a bad team and he kind of struggled early on. Um, but again, you're right. Everyone thought, you know, where do you play Isaiah Simmons? Is he a safety? Is he a, is he a slot corner? Is he a weak side linebacker? Is he an outside linebacker? And I'm really excited to see him this offseason and hopefully some preseason games. But you're right. That's a good point. And, and, and if I had a guess, Craig, just because we talked about, you know, the top three corners, Patrick Sertain, J.C. Horn, and then Caleb Farley. Now you can look at Greg Newsom. I think Farley, just based on the medical – he was projected to be a what? Top 15, 18 pick, possibly. Yeah. He could drop. And again, if you're a team that's willing to roll the dice and you want that fifth year option, I think we could see him where if you read everything going into the offseason and the draft, he was one of the higher rated corners in the NFL or going into the NFL. Yeah, number one on many people's boards, but because of the medicals, that uncertainty, you're not quite sure. So before we get into some more draft talk, you mentioned the offseason, and we need to let the Bird Gang know a couple of things this week. One, the offseason program is officially underway, and two, the owners are meeting this week. More on that in a moment. First, the offseason program, and this is as defined by the National Football League. Phase one beginning April 19th to May 14th. Virtual meetings, no on-field work. We know that there have been about two-thirds of the league as far as teams have come out, players have come out with statements released by the NFLPA that they are going to stay away from facilities. Now, they'll still be a part of virtual aspect, but they are not going to partake in on-field activities. Whether that number increases, whether we see the Cardinals on that list, and who knows, by the time you listen to this bird gang here on this Monday, maybe the Cardinals have released a statement, at least through the NFLPA. But this is important because, as we saw last year, everything was virtual. But there is a little bit of hope, MJ, that maybe at the end of May, middle of May, end of May, and into June, there will be some on-field work, if not from the veterans. We do know this. Rookie football development program and a post-draft mini camp. That to me, if we get nothing else, that will be huge because you won't have these rookies coming in cold, so to speak, as Isaiah Simmons and his rookie class was last year. Very important. And, and the fact is, you know, when they come in here and, you know, they'll bring in some undrafted free agents, you want to make sure you have enough bodies is, you know, you can go out there and make mistakes because when you start to get to the OTAs, you're probably going to drop in the depth chart a little bit, but that's very important. And the fact is the NFL is, is going to have a three uh, games in the preseason. That's going to go a long way. And we talked to veteran guys last year where they could have used a preseason game. Maybe that second one is where the tune-up is. And then that third one is kind of the fourth where you're trying to find out the bottom of your roster. But, just to get on the field, something they weren't able to do last year. And you got to think at some point, Kyler Murray is going to try to get with these receivers. I think, you know, but last year it was kind of forbidden to work out anywhere. Um, now you can travel if you've been vaccinated. So I think it's going to be different. And I, I, just talking to some people in the organization last Friday, uh, they are optimistic that it's going to be a lot better this year. They can't predict the future. They don't know all the protocols when it comes to tears, but they think what they went through last year, it cannot get any worse safety 
first and foremost, and then, yes, hopefully the on-field product, you get a taste of it, and then, of course, the regular season begins on time as it did a year ago, but just something to keep an eye on, Bergang. The other thing to keep an eye on this week, and this is coming up on Wednesday, the owners are meeting. There are a handful of proposals on the table. A couple I think are important. One is the expanded booth to official communication during replays. Now, you can't have an official pick up or throw a flag but you can have a second set of eyes to have the discussion as far as, hey, this is what I saw either in the stadium or in New York, and that advice, if you will, as far as a play based off, as the proposal says, video evidence. And I think this might eventually lead into that booth official. This is not a booth official. It's just more communication to make sure you get the call right. You know, I, I'm always curious and, and, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, but at the end of the day, uh, we know officiating is, is done by humans. You're going to have mistakes. Um, you know, obviously when you look at a replay or a slow-mo, you kind of have the result now where they don't have that. Um, but I do appreciate the NFL trying to get the calls right. And, uh, you know, they sent out some numbers early uh, to, on Monday and, you know, the average time for a replay was 226. And, that, and, and a lot of the, um, they didn't have as many penalties called. We know that they cut up down on the holding penalties. But yeah, if more eyes, again, I don't like a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but they got to get on the same page. And, and again, they're human, so you're going to miss a call. But at least maybe you have like a filter where somebody else sees something, then they obviously go back and, and see if New York's going to review it. And what the league wants to avoid is because of television and high definition, and we are seeing more, there are more cameras on this sports, nothing is missed. The fan at home or even in the stadium, either watching on their mobile device or on the big screen to see something and then have it called differently out on the field. You have the technology. Bottom line is, whether it helps your team or hurts your team, get the play right and i think that i mean a perfect game a perfect officiated game it's impossible it's played by humans so there are going to be mistakes it's the egregious mistakes that you don't want to see happen especially late in games postseason games super bowl that i think is what the league is trying to get as close to as possible perfection is never going to be attained but as close to perfect as you can get, I think the league will always work to strive for that. And if you look at it, I mean, I, I don't agree with this, but it makes sense. Depending on how you grade out during the season, you get rewarded to work in the postseason. You would think they would take crews, the best crews, but they also want to reward the best line judge, side judge. So basically, there's checks and balances with them every Monday or Tuesday if you're doing the Monday night game. So, and sometimes you get downgraded. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm assuming this year with a 17 game schedule, uh, you know, maybe a couple of weeks we don't see the same crew. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, they're, 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 they have accountability too. And uh, you'll see who's working in the postseason compared to the regular season. The other proposal on the table, and this is getting a lot of support is eliminating or at least easing the restrictions on who can wear which jersey numbers. So linebackers could wear 1 to 39, defensive backs 1 to 19, offensive linemen 
50 to 59. And there's a lot of support with players. I've seen Marcus Golden, Buda Baker say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll look to change my number. A lot of these players in high school or college, they wore low numbers. Larry Fitzgerald wore number one, couldn't wear it in the National Football League. Now, for fans, you know, it's another opportunity to support your favorite player and get a new uniform. But I think if this does pass, and I don't know if it would be this season or you'd have to wait till next season, but I could see, depending on just whether you go back to your high school roots or your Pop Warner roots, that, you know, an offensive lineman wants to change their number because now a number that they wore back in the day or their favorite number, all of a sudden, that's allowable. And they'll say, yes, I want to switch it up. And it's going to take some getting used to, but I do think that that has become something that a lot of players certainly want to see past. Well, it's going to come down to the ownership. 24 out of 32 votes. I think, you know, and maybe I'm in that same boat. I'm a little bit old school. So we'll see if it passes. Um, you know, it's going to be different because we'll see a number, and if it's a lineman, he's got a single digit. Was he downfield? Do you think that's a receiver? I like I said, I, I understand it. And if I'm not mistaken, Craig, because um, Buddha's already changed his number, right? He's already changed it once before, yeah. Okay, and when you do that, you have to purchase all those jerseys. And I wonder if that would still be in effect with this proposal. Like, is that part of it, that they would waive that under this proposal? And that's a question I don't know, but you're right. that When you make a number change... And there's a time frame on when you're allowed to do this. And I think we're getting into that area where, hey, you know what? We need to know for 2021. Uh, again, I don't have any insight, but I, I do follow players on social uh, media. And you're right. It was Marcus Golden and Buddha and a couple, even a couple other guys around the league. They just were kind of going back to their roots, uh, whether it were their first uh, Pop Warner number or carried over to high school and college. But I just have a hard time thinking they would get 24 votes. And that is what is required, 75% approval by the owners for any of this stuff to be adopted. And again, this is expected to be voted on this week. What is not likely to pass, if you believe a lot of the reports out there, and this is something that's been on the table before, is the fourth and 15 alternative to the onside kick. I really like this because it's become harder and harder for teams to convert onside kicks but a fourth and 15 and maybe it needs to be a fourth and 20 or a fourth and 25 because offenses these days 15 yards sometimes is not a big deal but if it's fourth and 15 from your own 25 your own 20 now all of a sudden there is a huge risk reward but i do think it would certainly add some excitement to the game because now all of a sudden i mean you get a good offense and a defense that can't stop anyone you're always going to go for it on fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick to try to run up the score, if you will. And you could see some of those onside kicks as opposed to late in a game. Shoot, you might have it in the first quarter. Yeah, we see other sports, you know, in Major League Baseball. Now, and a lot of people think they, they need to speed the game up. But they but now it, when they go to overtime, they put a guy on second or they go to extra rings, they put a guy on second base. So. Uh, again, if if the they they've changed the rules for player safety when it comes to special teams, you know, no wedge. Uh, you got to make sure you have X amount of guys on the on the right side and the left side. So it's I wouldn't say it's impossible because if you can get a kicker that can bounce the ball and you got some guys with good hands on the outside, it's. But to me, it's 
it's not a high percentage play. And if you got an opportunity and you're willing to do that, to me, I think what you said is 100% correct. It adds excitement in whether it happens in the first quarter or the fourth quarter. And you're going to say, hey, my team is not giving up here. They're trying to win this game, even though um, it's, you still got to pick it up. I mean, 15 yards is on fourth down. It's not easy. I know you can throw a slant pass, but I would think teams are going to try to keep everything in front. Um, so it, I definitely think it would add a lot of excitement. I would like to see it pass, and I understand why there is that hesitation, but I do think we'll eventually get to that as opposed to an onside kick just because of the success rate, player safety, and it adds some more excitement. I mean, there's there's a lot of excitement already of an international football league game, but I know the league is always trying to keep people occupied, especially late in the game. If you're down three scores against the Chiefs, I mean, you know, some teams you just can't overcome that and this would be a way that hey no lead is safe if you will and that's why i like the proposal i think one of the most exciting plays in football whether it's high school college the pros is a kickoff return or a punt return i mean because we don't see those guys normally they're backups and for you know we've seen obviously Devin hester against the cardinals on monday night we've seen super bowls start off like that I think it's most one of the, but now teams are kicking it out of the end zone, forcing you to go to the 25. You got to drive down 75 yards. Teams are kicking a little bit higher, trying to pin you at the five to 10 yard line. So, and again, this is all about safety. Uh, th that was one of the big issues where there were more injuries on kickoffs and kickoff returns and punts and punts return than when there were average over the course of the game. And so it's for safety, but I do think, uh, I do miss the most one of the most exciting plays in football is a kick return or a punt return. Another reason this is a big week, Bird Gang, is because season four of the Emmy Award winning series Cardinals Flight Plan premieres this week, April 22nd at 7 p.m. via the Cardinals YouTube channel. Takes you behind the scenes of the Cardinals offseason, including free agency, draft prep, and more. YouTube.com slash AZ Cardinals. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the action. Episode one is titled Power Surge. Again, Thursday, April 22nd at 7 p.m. And a lot of it early on will be dealing with the free agency aspect. And of course, it all began with the signing of J.J. Watt and the surprise that we all felt and uh, certainly not only us here that are Cardinal fans, but throughout the National Football League as well. One more item before we get to Mike Jarecki's continuing countdown of his top 50 draft prospects. We've got numbers 11 through 20 to discuss, but we've got another list, MJ, to pass along. Win totals. This follows our discussion of the MVP odds in our most recent show. And according to those in the know, if you will, the experts, the over and under as far as win totals, I'm going to give you a couple. We'll focus mainly on the NFC West, but the Cardinals win total in 2021. And keep in mind, it's a 17-game schedule. So the over-under for wins for the Cardinals is eight, which is the same number they had a year ago. And yes, this team is improved from a year ago, but you can make the case, considering the division they're in, that yes, they're improved, as are a lot of teams. And it's going to be very, very hard, and it's a tough schedule ahead for the Cardinals. But I certainly would be disappointed 
let me correct that. I would be severely disappointed if this team finished with eight wins because it would be a sub-500 record under a 17-game regular season schedule. You know, the way I look at this is, first of all, what you said is right. They have a much more difficult schedule. Now, again, we can't predict when injuries are going to occur, but you're not playing the NFC East this year, okay? And they played the AFC East last year. Unfortunately, they lost to the Patriots and the Dolphins and then beat the Jets and the Bills on a Hal Murray. You're, you're facing better quarterbacks, Craig, on paper. But I, I, I believe that the front office put together a 10-win team last year. Um, players and, and, and at the end, the coaches, they, this just wasn't enough. So as I sit here today, and again, they have, we talked about this before. Last year, they started off 2-0 in the division, finished 2-4. Uh, we know about week 16 and 17. So um, I think they're a better team. Hopefully they learn how to finish. Uh, they were very inconsistent last year, and that's got to change. Uh, but I, I would take the over considering there's a 17-game schedule. Cardinals are playing seven teams, seven teams totaling nine games against opponents who made the postseason a year ago. Rams, Seahawks, Packers, Bears, Colts, Titans, and Browns, and of course that Browns opponent added late when the Cardinals, or excuse me, when the league went to a 17-game regular season. The Browns finished 11-5 and last season. It is the 15th hardest schedule when you look at what the Cardinals are looking at here in 2021 based off of the opponent's winning percentage from a year ago. Let's go through the rest of the division. Over-under as far as win totals, Rams 49ers at 10, Seahawks 9.5, and And there might be some wiggle room on some of these numbers depending on what you're looking at, but bottom line is when you talk about the toughest division in football, you can't go any further than the NFC West based off these win totals because a lot's expected from these teams this season. Yeah, and last year, you know, with them adding an, an extra playoff team, we were thinking possibly you can get three teams from the division. Now, that did happen in the AFC South uh, between Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Baltimore. But you did have Cincinnati, who had a poor record, where at least for Arizona, um, you know, San Francisco didn't have as much a win total. But I was listening to the NFL Network, and um, – I know he's a, he's a Bay Area guy, and he went to Cal. And uh, I, I don't know if he realizes that the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl last year. But according to Mike Silver, he's got the San Francisco 49ers as the best team in the NFC. In the entire conference? Yes. Okay, I'm guessing he's basing that on everyone returning and being healthy for an entire season because that 49ers team was very banged up last year decimated we'll see i mean i again you got to improve uh we talk about winning you know five or six home games scratch on a couple road wins they did that um you know worst case scenario finish 500 in your division we know you're going to have uh, and then you got to finish a better record in the conference they were six and six in the conference that's those 12 games so two and four in the division so again they know what's at stake we'll, we'll get a chance to look at the schedule when it comes out in may but uh, it's going to be and again we don't know about injuries and everything else but on paper i mean i just look at the teams they're facing you mentioned how many playoff teams and you got to play a couple of those teams twice the rams and the seahawks and then i just look at some of the quarterbacks compared to a year ago and it's a little bit more daunting but i do think the cardinals should have a better team going into 2021. 
the best over and under win totals in the conference, the Buccaneers at 11 and a half, the Packers 11, the Chiefs come in with a win total of 12. And I think that's with those three teams, that's to be expected. They're arguably the three best teams in the NFL. Uh, with apologies to Michael Silva believing that the 49ers are the best team. But, you know, who knows? I mean, we're sitting here talking about teams in April. We've yet to have a draft. We don't know what schedules are going to look like. And that plays a factor. How many home games do you have early in the season? How many times do you have to go back east? Is it late in the year that you have to go back east to where weather becomes a factor? Last year's schedule, if you broke it down into four game blocks, it was two road games, two home games. And the Cardinals weren't able to take advantage of that. It was a good start and a poor finish. And that's something that this team is going to have to own and recognize and go into this season realizing that it's not only a strong start, but a strong finish. And every game matters. The minute this team loses, and if it happens in September, and I hear anyone say, oh, it's one game, it's early, uh uh-uh. You lost the Detroit Lions week two, week three, excuse me, and that cost this team a playoff bid. I'll go to the the next week. You would have thought this team would have been motivated after starting off 2-0, beating the 49ers and beating, you know, Dwayne Haskins and the Washington football team, and then they lose to Detroit at home. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, according to Kyler Murray, they just thought they stepped on the field. So that, to me, and again, we're talking about the NFC, Craig. If you change that, and, and you can't go back and change it, it's just it's worthy of bringing it up. All of a sudden now, you're not 6-6 six and six in the conference. You have a couple more wins and a couple less losses. So those games matter, especially conference games. I'm not saying you just throw away the AFC, because when it comes to the win total, you got to have – you're probably going to have, have to have nine or ten wins, maybe you know, possibly eleven to win the division. But just to even be in the the hunt in the month of December, yeah, double digit wins might be what it takes to be even a wild card team in the NFC and maybe even the AFC as well. Because one, seventeen game regular season schedule, and two, these teams are very very good to the point where yeah, it's very difficult to get into the postseason. We talked about that last year. Just making the playoffs is an accomplishment. And then what do you do when you get there? And the Cardinals, unfortunately, unable to get to that point in 2020. Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As we speak here a little over a week away from the 2021 NFL Draft, let's get into it. MJ, your second to last group of prospects. Numbers 11 through 20, and for the first time, There is a new position group that will crack MJ's top draft prospects. We'll get to that in a moment. Should be easy to figure out, though, if you've been paying attention. If you've missed any of our draft prospect breakdowns, just go into the archives, azcardinals.com slash podcast. But counting down, we'll begin at number 20, defensive lineman, or I should say an edge rusher, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia checks in at number 20, second team all SEC performer, nine and a half sacks last season. He's got long arms, MJ, and those scouts certainly love the measurables. And when you talk about arm size, that's something that people pay attention to. Yeah, redshirted sophomore. He grew up in, in Georgia, attended Georgia there, 6'2, 249. 
Long arms, 34.5. Hands, 10.5. Fully grown, 3-4 outside linebacker. NFL ready, strength and impressive explosiveness. Um, you know, first freshman in Kirby Smart's era to be named team, team captain as a freshman. So that's impressive. Lightning quick, playing off blocks. Um, again, just a guy that can get to the quarterback. He's got a quick rush burst, uh, loose hips, um, but limited in some of his rush moves, and that just comes with experience. The Lance Zerline comparison, Joey Porter. We know how tough Joey Porter was getting to the quarterback and how ten the tenacity he played with. Um, some of his weaknesses, strong but undersized to be setting edge, uh, gives away rush pl uh, plan per prematurely, rarely threatens tackles with quality counters. According to a source, just two up and down. There are times he looks like he has Velcro on his jersey and the way he blocks to stick to him. Area scout for an AFC team. So I wouldn't say boom or bust, but clearly he's got uh, time to, to fill out that frame. And, and maybe he needs to go to a team that has another pass rusher, so take some of the pressure off of him. But clearly, he's one of the. He, he'll be a first round pick. Yeah, an, an edge rusher that maybe needs to work on the skill set as far as dropping back, yeah. as far as covering, as far as an outside linebacker, and also a little bit of a history with injuries. He tore his ACL as a senior in high school, but uh, Ojolari, 6'3", 240. Another linebacker, now an inside linebacker as we continue counting down, and at number 19 out of Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, six foot one, 215 pounds. He was the top linebacker in college football, the Butkus Award winner, a unanimous All-American and ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Now, this is interesting. According to Lance Zerline, he's comparing him to Derwin James. He said rare level explosive and speed. Now he's six one and a half, two twenty one. So he's kind of a hybrid. Um, and he grew up in Virginia and attended Notre Dame there. Range to challenge outside runs, perimeter throws is elite. Fluid change of direction and pursuit of, while maintaining speed. Um, so it's interesting when you look at, there was concerns when he was being raised about his lack of size, occasional lapses and fundamentals, but neither should uh, detract any team. So he's, in, he's an instant downhill trigger uh, run uh, defender. So when you, when you mentioned Derwin James, I mean, that's kind of a hybrid player. Um, and again, six, one and a half, 221, arms 33, hands about 8.8. .8. So that's, a, that's an interesting comp. Um, again, he will be a first round pick. And when you look at inside linebacker, it's not a position that we've discussed a lot about with respects to the Cardinals at number 16. But who do the Cardinals have at that position? Isaiah Simmons not going anywhere. Jordan Hicks, you know, how much longer is he wearing a Cardinals uniform? And then behind those guys, there's not a lot of depth outside of players who also partake on special teams. Tanner Vallejo, Ezekiel Turner. I do think, depending on how the board looks, linebacker and specifically inside linebacker, it's not a reach to think number 16 could be that player. Well, and again, you start looking at Jordan Hicks. I think he's been a good addition here, team captain, great leader in the locker room. But, he, you know, he is north of 30, and, you know, he's played basically every snap, and, and maybe you want to take some of the load off of him. Um, and then again, that's what teams do. They start looking at the roster, and they say, well, this guy's, you know, either got one or two years left. He's getting a little long in the tooth. Um, this is his salary, so we're going to fill that spot. According to Land Zerline, sources tell him, 
He's got so much ability, but it's kind of similar to what we've seen with Isaiah Simmons while figuring out how you want to play him. Personal executive for an AFC team. So now that's that's what teams are thinking. He's like, Isaiah, now where do you play him? And that's why I think the comp was Derwin James. You can do so much, and then all of a sudden, the more you can do sometimes becomes a detriment until you figure out within the defense. And I think Vance Joseph did figure out what to do with Isaiah Simmons once Simmons was ready. That's the other thing to keep in mind. He was thrown into the fire and needed to take a step back before taking a couple of steps forward in the middle of last season. All right, counting down from number 20, we got a run of defensive players. We go to the Defensive line at number 18, defensive end Greg Rousseau out of Miami. Did not play this past season, opted out of 2020, but in 2019, 15 and a half sacks, second team All-American, first team All-ACC. So certainly someone that can get to the quarterback in a three-point stance. Yeah, and you start looking at another uh, cohort with him, uh, Jalen Phillips um, from Miami. You know, curious to see. I think Phillips may have more upside. Now, according to Zerline, he thinks he's a one to second round. Again, when you start looking at the draft, once we get a couple three three receivers off the board, a couple quarterbacks, a couple linemen, then I think teams are going to focus on defense. Last year, 18 offensive players in the first round, 14 defensive players, and I can anticipate 18 offense going this year and 14 defense. Um, but again, he's got he's six seven. 266. His hands are close to 34.3. I'm sorry, his arms and his hands are 11.1. So you talk about long, limbered, even front end with projectable frame. Now, I wonder, does he play like that, though? Is he, is he a guy that can get inside on you and, and push you around, or is he, a lineman gets in his pad level? Um, is he just a tall drink of water? So that's something that he, I mean, clearly he's going to have to get stronger, but he's got the body. And we talk a lot of guys like Calais Campbell. They're great when it comes to deflecting passes, forcing the quarterback to throw over and trying to find short, uh, small windows. So, um, again, you're going to hear about the Miami guys. I'm just curious to see who goes first between him and Phillips. We've got another defensive player to spotlight here as we count it down in at number 17. Now more of an inside presence, defensive tackle Christian Barmore out of Alabama, the national championship game, defensive MVP. He was basically all over the field as far as controlling the line of scrimmage in Alabama's victory. But uh, even as an interior lineman, eight sacks last season and someone who also has good size. Well, 6'4", 3'10", we may not see a lot of defensive tackles drafted in the first round. Barmore is going to be drafted. Again, you'll start to see some pass rushers come off there. We know corners are going to be hot. We'll see about uh, Parson. Um, he's probably the best inside linebacker. But Barmore is a first-round pick. The comp is Marcel Darius, attack-oriented defensive tackle with a big body, violent hands, and a talent to work his way around blocks and find the ball. He tends to be in the lead and take control of the majority of the reps. His hands and feet sling in harmony and allow him to stay active and free to sustain blocks. So he's, he's got an explosive first step, and I think that's one of those guys where you just kind of you line him up against the center and guard and you kind of turn his body a little bit and let him rush up the field. Uh, Marcel Darius was, was doing that. Vince Wolfort comes to mind now. This guy's 310, but I do think he's going to be one of the defensive tackles that goes off the board before we get to the second and third round. 
and a player that and a position that the Cardinals might look at. But based off of Jordan Phillips and Lecky Fotu and Rashard Lawrence, yeah, there is, you know, talent versus need. And that is the give and take that a scouting department and a general manager have to look at because I think the Cardinals are fine at that position, but you don't want to pass on talent just because you have players already there. But to the Cardinals point, you have young players with Lawrence and Fotu, although if you believe Barmore is better than those two players, then maybe you do pull the trigger. Well, those guys are mid-round picks, and, and you need depth on the roster. We, we know they're likely, if you go three, four, you're going to have to have seven active on game day. The, the thing is, though, you know, when we talk about Butler and A.J. Green, corner and wide receiver, really deep draft for that, um, they're on one-year contracts. We know J.J. Watt's going to be here for at least a couple of years, and then you know, we'll see about the option bonus or the uh, – the, the bonus the third year so this year is 4.9 next year goes to 15.8 um, so again you start looking at how much money can you spend at that position but if J.J. Watt was on a one-year deal I would say this guy has a bright future and we'll just have to see where he ends up good point all right so we've had four defensive players in our bottom half of the top 20 in at number 16 our first Offensive player, and it's an offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. He's got experience at guard and at tackle, a first-team all-pack 12 performer, and someone that the Cardinals have been pegged to take with that 16th overall pick when you look at some of those mock drafts out there. He grew up in Oakland, went to USC, redshirted junior, 6'4 and a half, 308. You know, I think people are going to look at him as a guard, possibly 32.1. Again, we're talking about a half inch. His hands are 9.6. The NFL comparison is Will Hernandez, who was a high pick with the Giants. Ascending wide body and powerful hands above uh, average core strength, allowing him to play with good balance and control of action around him. He's not a forklift driver blocker, but he does have the frame and natural strength to improve an area where he can be a better, a little bit better in pad level. Um, he did play a little bit of left tackle. Some people look at him as a guard. So when you look at Slater and Penny uh, Sewell, I think they're going to be the first tackles off the board. But if you look at Tucker, and again, Justin Pugh's getting a little longer. Cardinals obviously feel like, you know, they he, he decided to take a pay cut and he wants to be here. But you start looking ahead. And I think they have Josh Jones where he could be your swing tackle. So uh, wide, thick frame, burly, lower body. Now, the good news is, Cardinals would have really good intel. Graham Harrell, he's the coordinator at USC. Cliff was there briefly. So the Cardinals would have good intel, just his practice habits, film, and Kingsbury has a relationship with Graham Harrell. It's a short-lived there, but I think they go back to some of their days at Texas or Texas Tech. Or he, Now, according to a scout, he was good in 2019 as a guard, Look better in 2020 as a tackle. I wouldn't be shocked if teams look at him as a tackle because he's tough, athletic, and he's longer than people expect his height. Director of College Scouting from an AFC team. Again, the connection would be USC offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. He played left guard in 2019, tackle last season in 2020, and Daniel Jeremiah's second mock draft. Mock draft 2.0 back in February had the Cardinals selecting Vera Tucker with the 16th overall pick. So it should be a name that Bird Gang you should be familiar with out there as far as an offensive lineman is concerned. But kind of wait and see what happens coming up in a week, week and a half. Are you fine with 
drafting an alignment where may not play right away? I am because that's kind of been the MO with the Cardinals. DJ Humphreys didn't play right away. Josh Jones, we know, did not play right away. We'll see if that changes even this season. But Sean Kugler has mentioned and mentioned it earlier this offseason, MJ, that back in the day, now maybe things have changed a little bit, but you had to wait your turn. It took two or three years before an offensive lineman really found their footing. Now, are there exceptions to that rule? Yes. But if you have experience and you can have a guy sit and watch, I think the Cardinals do have experience on that offensive line. But to your point, it's next season, the season after that. That is what a general manager has to look at when selecting players in the draft. A head coach wants to know, hey, can you help me now? And if the answer is no, then you have to take a broader sense of what this player fits into your system. Well, you look at Rodney Hudson under contract a couple of years. Maybe the Cardinals can squeeze out a third year. And then you got DJ Humphreys under contract for the next couple of years. Uh, perfect age. You got Josh Jones under contract. So all of a sudden, um, you know, you're building something here where you're, again, I don't disagree with you. I, I know that, you know, when you're picking a, a Willis or a Worfs last year, clearly those teams in, in, in Tampa moved up and they needed to protect Brady. So I get that, you know, uh, backed in. Jets weren't very good, so you throw them in there. Andrew Thomas. So sometimes you just got to roll with the punches, hope they get better. But in this situation, it would be ideal, and we know injuries occur. And if somebody's not playing up the par, what, what do we say? Cougar's going to play the best five guys. And when you look at Ver Tucker, he is physical at the point of attack. So building for the future, on paper, you have Humphreys, Jones, and possibly Ver Tucker, and that's three out of the five positions that you're looking forward to in the future. Well, this discussion on the offensive line moves us right into our next five as far as numbers 11 to 15. Let's quickly recap, though, starting at number 20s. We count down MJ's top 50 prospects. We're counting down numbers 11 to 20 here on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, Aziz Ojolari, Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, Greg Rousseau, Christian Barmo, and Elijah Vera Tucker, numbers 20 to 16. Now, this offensive line discussion that we have, you at number 15 have offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech, Christian Darrisseau, checking in at number 15, which is a pick before the Cardinals at number 16. But again, six foot five, 322 pounds. You can never have enough offensive linemen, especially when you're looking at the future moving forward and knowing Kelvin Beecham is only under contract for next season. Yeah, and he's got 34-inch uh, arms. His hands are 925. He was regarded as one of the top tackles in the country as, as junior season, earning him second-team All-American, first-team uh, All-ACC accolades in his play in just 10 starts. Now, according to Zerline, He's comparing him to Russell Okong, athletic, gifted left tackle prospect with natural talent to be as good as he wants to be, plays with body control, has initial uh, lateral quickness, smooth agility, and is able to get uh, in, in the uh, trenches when it comes to the run game. The tape shows a player who's able to make jaw-dropping jaw cutbacks on the blind side. So you don't, you don't hear about him because we focus on Slater and for Tucker and then uh, uh, Penny Sewell, but don't fall asleep. When you're starting to compare something, and when we talk about comparing, there's traits there. We're not saying he's going to be that player. There are traits that you see, and we're going to have a trait today that is a former Cardinals quarterback on the list in Jake Plummer. Anyways, um, so he, he, again, 
I just think there's going to be a run on wide receivers, quarterbacks, uh, uh, tackles, but you're going to start to see some of these offensive tackles. Um, that I was looking at a later mock draft this morning. It looked like the Vikings may have interest in improving that offensive line. We know they have the running game. Um, you know, Mike Zimmer's more of a defensive-minded coach. Kirk Cousins is there. So it'd be interesting, but I do think um, he will be a first-round pick, a junior, and it's got great size. Did not allow a sack last season and only three allowed in his career. And a quick correction, Kevin Beecham signed a two-year contract this offseason. So he is under contract past this upcoming season. But still, to that point, you can never have enough offensive linemen, especially as you're looking to protect your most valuable asset in Kyla Murray. Let's continue to count it down. And at number 14, a lot of people like J.C. Horn, the cornerback out of South Carolina. Many believe him to be, if not number one, maybe the number two corner in this draft. And, of course, a lot of people hope, keep their fingers crossed, that Horn is on the board when the Cardinals select at number 16. And another player whose father played in the National Football League, his father Joe, a wide receiver in the league. Yeah, J.C. Horn, cornerback, South Carolina, grew up in Georgia, 6'1", 205, 33-inch arms, 9.1 hands. He stepped in to start 10 of 11 games, played as a true freshman for the Gamecocks, racking up 45 tackles, four for loss, two sacks, eight pass breakups. He was named to the SEC All-Freshman team. Um, the comparison is Jimmy Smith. Uh, he started the Gamecocks' first seven games in 2020, 16 tackles, one for loss, two interceptions, six pass breaks, before he deciding to opt out when Will Muschamp was fired. So he decided, and the SEC coaches voted him second team all-conference after the regular season. You know, so he needs to be more consistent effort and run support, but his traits and upside are extremely appealing despite the lack of high school ball protection a high ball protection horn offers immediate starting help with a high upside and definitely fills a need for the arizona cardinals at maybe the number two corner spot or maybe midway through the season is someone that you can plug in and be a starter in 2021 according to uh lanzerline personnel executive for an nfc team quote there aren't just many corners in this league who have the traits and man cover talent I think he's going to chance to be special in the league. Well, we'll see if he is there and available for the Cardinals who pick number 16 overall in the 2021 NFL draft. As we work our way to number 13 on Mike Jarecki's top 50 draft prospects and breaking news here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Our first quarterback makes the list, Zach Wilson out of BYU. 28 career starts, a three-time bowl game MVP, and many who believe is going to be the second quarterback off the board and in at number two to the New York Jets, but someone that you have pegged and at number 13 overall amongst all the prospects. This kid looks 15 years old. <laughs> now, it's funny. His parents uh, went to Utah. He grew up in Draper, Utah, and they never recruited him. So he goes to BYU. And you know the comp? Jake Plummer. Okay. I didn't think Wilson was that elusive, that athletic as a Jake Plummer, but I'll admit I did not watch a lot of BYU games this past season. Ascending quarterback prospect who poses with a swagger and arm talent to create explosive plays inside and outside the pocket. The gunslinger's mentality improve. Release points are clearly patterned 
off one of his favorite players, Aaron Rodgers. However, his, his play is a little bit more resemblant and blend to Jake Plummer or Johnny Manziel. Ugh. Oh, yeah, that's change that comp. (laughs) (laughs) It was Jake Plummer, but he's saying that he's got traits, Craig, not compare. All right, quickly here. Wilson's sophomore year tape shows trouble decision-making, so NFL teams will need to have his balance. Enormous jump in production is playing quality in 2020. Outstanding 11-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio offers potential first-round full reader of the field. Again, twitchy. his if he goes number two overall, man, they better get it right up there because they're going to eat this kid up. And it's, and he also uh, tweeted out that he eats Chipotle every single day. I don't know if that's a, a you know a plug. Maybe we should take that out. But uh, he does eat Chipotle. But I look at him; he looks fourteen years old. Everyone has their routines, and apparently <laughs> Zach Wilson does as well. But just looking what his numbers last season, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions, and a completion percentage of over 73. So certainly a lot to like. He is certainly not the number two quarterback on your board, MJ. And that is something that everyone looks at quarterbacks differently. Is there a certain quarterback that fits what you want? And by all accounts, the New York Jets like Zach Wilson, and we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm not fixated on the conference he played in because, you know, you look at Carson Wentz, you look at Josh Allen. I mean, not everyone's going to go to USC and all these other stuff. Now, this is according to a personal executive for an NFL team. I really like the BYU kid. This quarterback class is so overrated, but I think Wilson's going to end up being one of the good ones out of this draft. Okay, well, we talk Zach Wilson. Let's talk another quarterback. In at number 12, Mac Jones, the pro-style quarterback from Alabama who won basically every quarterback award last season, the Davey O'Brien, Johnny Unitas Golden Arm, Manning Award winner. 17 starts compared to Zach Wilson's 28 career starts. And then there's the fact that you play at Alabama. You're basically playing with pro talent every single Saturday. Is he that good or was he just the beneficiary of a lot of talent around him? That is what the 49ers have to ask themselves. And if he does get past the 49ers at number three, another team will have to ask that same question. The comp is Daniel Jones. Now, Daniel Jones, you know, went to Duke, played for David Cutcliffe. I think Jones is a little bit taller, but they list him as 6'3", Mac Jones, 217, 32, 6 uh, arms, hands, 9-7. He was a four-star prospect who initially committed to Kentucky before Tua, uh, Tua is in the recruiting class in 2017. He's from Jacksonville. He registered at the Tide while Tua was helping the team win a national title. He was arrested and charged with a DUI in November of that year after being involved in a car accident. He was suspended against LSU. He accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl. Jones' mother played tennis at Mercer. Her fa- his father played tennis at Florida State. His sister played tennis at College of Charleston. Charleston and his brother played soccer at Mercer. So he comes from a team, uh, a family, maybe not football, but a lot of genes when it comes to playing different sports. A very athletic family and someone who waited his turn at Alabama. You mentioned it. He sat behind Jalen Hurts. He sat behind Tua Tungabailoa and then made a name for himself this past season to where 
many people early in this draft process thought maybe, you know, teens to late first round to now all of a sudden he's not going to get past the 49ers at number three or maybe not past uh, the Falcons at four or maybe the Lions at seven, even though they just acquired Jared Goff. He is certainly an interesting prospect when you talk about the quarterback position. Yeah, and the good thing, too, is in the NFL because we know that those Alabama quarterbacks don't really pan out in the NFL. So, I mean, I, I don't want to put that stigma on him because he, he played it at a high level. I mean, he went against one of the best defenses in football um, when, you, when you play in that semi uh, game and then obviously the national championship. So I don't want to discredit because he went to Alabama. But small sample, um, but he looks the part. It's just a matter of, you know, the Niners, I mean – I don't know why people aren't – I mean, I guess they're talking about him now. Trey Lance and Justin Fields. I don't think Justin Fields is getting enough credit. We'll talk about him later in the week. The fact that he played in uh, so many big games, he threw for 385 yards against Clemson. He got he took a shot to the ribs, and he stayed in the game uh, prior to that. So we'll talk about him. But Mac Jones, to me, is – you know, I think he's perfect for the New England Patriots. And, you know, it, is Belichick going to take a quarterback in the first round? Um, I think Micah Parson makes the most sense for the Patriots. He's like that perfect defensive player that Belichick will build a defense around. But it'll be interesting because um, the pressure is going to be on him because of the fact that, you know, he, people aren't talking about we are Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, but it's all it takes is one team. And if the Niners do it at three or the Falcons do it at four, then, you know, We'll see if he get, plays right away or he's going to have to sit. Well, the Patriots sit right now at number 15 overall. Do they have to move up to get a quarterback that they like and a quarterback of the future? Our final draft prospect here as we count down from number 20 in at number 11. It's another offensive tackle. Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern did not play this past season, opted out. But if you look back at 2019, made a name for himself when Northwestern played Ohio State and basically shut down Chase Young. And that put a lot of people on his radar, Slater on a lot of people's radar for offensive tackle. And one of those players that it's difficult to evaluate when you don't have tape from last season. Well, I think this year we got a chance to see Northwestern, and they were one of those teams that, you know, you thought maybe he could make a run in the Big Ten. And he grew up in Sugar Land, Texas, but he ended up at Northwestern. He was a senior, 6'4", 304, arms 33, hands. The comparison is Jonah Williams. Jonah Williams was a high pick with Cincinnati. He ended up tearing his ACL in, in uh, training camp. Uh, he's a three-year starter with experience at both left and right tackles. And his uh, compact frame carries strength. That could be known as a grown man category. And it's evidence, why, as you mentioned, his battle with uh, Chase Young back in 2019. Um, he's big paws, can snatch opponent's frame, keeps his head back and chin tucked in pass sets. So I think when you look at this from a standpoint of, I, I do think he'll probably be the second tackle, unless you like Penny. But Sean Slater is a guy that's going to be drafted somewhere probably in the teens after we see a run on wide receivers, cornerbacks, and possibly quarterbacks. Quickly, let's recap these five prospects, 15 to 11, Christian Darso, J.C. Horn, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, and Rashawn Slater. Overall, three offensive linemen, two quarterbacks as we look at prospects 11 to 20 on MJ's big board, if you will. One more grouping to go, the top 
10. We'll do that on our next show here, but uh, certainly more recognizable names. And in, in this grouping of players, certainly some names that have been associated with the Arizona Cardinals and a tough decision, I think, because you're looking for the most talented and then, of course, someone who fills a need and whether that is a need right now or a need that you're projecting in the terms of offensive linemen, whether that's a guard or a tackle. Uh, those discussions, I'm sure, have happened and maybe are already done or maybe not. Maybe those discussions are still happening within that Cardinals draft war room. I mean, picking 16, you're going to get a good player, okay? It's just a matter of, again, people are going to get fixated on the second or left you know, best player. We don't know what their board looks like. So if I had it, if I had my wish list right now, Jalen Waddle, JC Horn, or Vera Tecker. Now I can't sit here and today and tell you one of those guys is going to be there. It looks like J Jalen Waddle would be probably after Chase, Devontae uh, Smith. And then you look at the couple tackles. So, but if I had my druthers, Jalen Waddle, cause I think he's a plug and play guy. Uh, obviously Chase um, Horn, J.C. Horn, and then you look at Veritek. I just don't – I wish I could sit here and say one of those three guys will be on the board, but I don't know that. I think a lot of it is going to depend on how many quarterbacks go. Is it five that go in the top 10 or top 15? Dare we see a sixth name out there, and whether that's in the upper half or the lower half, but the more and more quarterbacks that get selected ahead of the Cardinals pick – the better it is for the Cardinals. And that is what you have to keep an eye on on April 29th. So Bird Gang, we've got one more grouping of draft prospects. We'll do that a little bit later on this week. Numbers one to 10. It's been a lot of fun. If you missed any of these breakdowns, just go to the archives, azcardinals.com slash podcast as we get closer and closer to the 2021 NFL Draft. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.